that you all have had a wonderful week of celebrating and giving thanks. And certainly I am thankful to see TC back today. I don't know how you could ever come here and not see TC, see TC and not have a warm heart. Let's open in prayer. Father God, we come again into your presence as this group to study and to learn. We know that you have left with us your seal, your Holy Spirit, who will guide us, and we ask especially this for our teacher. Help the words that we study and learn today not just be information, but be transformation for us. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and we look forward to the birth of the child, the child who is our Redeemer. And it's easy for us to rush to the cradle and say that this is God's love. But help us remember that hased is a complex thing. It's more than just the superficial love that we know today. But a deep love that required you to sacrifice your son And as parents and as grandparents and as aunts and uncles, we know what that joy of a baby in our life is and that love that we thought we could never experience. And how Mary must have felt. Do we have that same feel? Can we ask that question of ourselves and not just selfishly say, it's just God's nature, it's just you, God, it's your love. A child redeemer. more than just love, but a sacrifice that you gave as an example of your love, as a commitment to your love. Ka'al. So let us be transformed today as we study and we remember these acts of love and as we enter this season of Advent. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you for having me back. Uh, my conference was amazing. We had something like 4,000 biblical scholars gather. So I, uh, I went to some interesting sessions, and uh, some, I- some Israeli scholars came, and they're, of course, Jewish scholars talking about the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew Bible, and we had some ex- interesting exchanges about redeeming, actually, Redeemer. Uh, <coughs> and. Uh, SBL, Society of Biblical Literature, is always interesting because there's a whole range of uh, scholarship. So you've got conservative kind of evangelical scholars like myself and others, and then you have the other side <laughs> coming in uh, who actually don't have any profession of faith. They just study the Bible as, a, as scholars. Um, so it's interesting to, to go and glean what I can. Uh, so are you, are you not able to hear me? Is it on? Okay. You're live. Am I? Okay. Uh, <coughs> anyway, I thought since we skipped a week, uh, I know, I know I, I've got the uh, handout uh, that you went over, but I thought I'd begin today with some questions. If you had questions for me, actually, from just last session or anything we've talked about before, 
uh, before we jump into chapter three. Did you have any questions about anything we've talked about or last week's session, anything that you had want to ask? And if not, that's okay too. All right, good. I waited 15 seconds, by the way. <laughs> uh, the average teacher, after asking a question or offering a time for students to respond, waits three seconds. And it takes a, an average of 10 seconds for students to respond. So I always wait 15 seconds. So in my head, so, so it, it can be a little awkward. So I'm going one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, <laughs> to 15, then I'm done. All right. Let's get into uh, the book of Ruth. My post-it has gotten bigger. <laughs> it's a bigger post-it. Um, <laughs> last week, I forgot things again. And I can't remember what I forgot, what I left behind. Uh, so I, I, you know, I thought, I'll refer back to it. But let's begin with, remember I said we're getting to the good parts, right? Hebrew does not have the word uh, for sex. But you have read, uh, you've, we've got some biblically literate people here. Uh, how does the Bible just use, what words does, does the Hebrew Bible use? Knew her. <laughs> so my, my students don't know where that comes from. Oh, he knew her in the biblical sense. It's like, what does that mean? Well, it's because uh, the word, I'm sorry, uh, hold on. I'm trying to write English and Hebrew at the same time. Can you see this? To know, and it looks like that in Hebrew, yada. Uh, it's in Hebrew. Knowledge is not cognitive. It's not all just in here. It's relational. So that's why when you know God, it's not knowing about God. It's having that relationship. So when you know someone, it can mean not always, but it can mean intimate knowledge. Uh, Genesis 4:1. Uh, Adam knew Chava or Eve and con conceive a child, of course, Cain. Uh, what's another word for sex in the Bible? Lie with her, that's right. Lie with, especially. And shachav is the word uh, to lie with. We have one more, much more explicit version. Sorry? I know, isn't that just a little too uncomfortable for us to read in the Bible? Uh, went into or go into, uh, the word really means enter. So there are two words in Hebrew to go, or actually three. Uh, to go from one place to another, to go into a place or to go out of a place. So you know how if you're talking on the phone and you say, I'm coming right over, you say, you say I'm coming over even, even though you're going because you're, you're, you're giving their perspective, right? You're actually, it's kind of a really polite way of speaking. Uh, you're deferring to their perspective. So going into a city, going out of a city, uh, and, and in to enter is in Hebrew, looks like this. I know, it's like, why is, why is he writing Hebrew? Because we're gonna talk about those three words today. So those are the three most common ways in the, in the Bible to talk about sex. And to know something, to lie, or to know, to know someone, <laughs> to lie with someone, or to enter someone, literally. Uh, kind of explicit. I want you to, uh, does anyone here use a King James, or the Nasby King James? Uh, I want you to notice how often the word know, lie, 
and enter occur in the King James or Nasby. Um, now, a lot of times we'll, in, in modern translations, they'll say something like, and he slept with her, or, and he, I think HSSV says something like, had, was intimate with her, or something like that. But um, the King James uses those words more literally than others. But I'll point those out. The reason we start with that is because uh, they don't have sex in chapter three. I, I, I firmly believe that Boaz and Ruth did not have sex uh, on the threshing floor. But uh, remember I said this is a romantic book. There is suggestive language throughout the chapter. And these words will occur in non-sexual context to suggest that kind of intimacy. Are we good? All right, let's get into the text then. All right, chapter three, verse one. Uh, by the way, chapter two, at the very end, uh, when you look at 23, that could have been the end of a book. Really, when you, when you look at it, it almost sounds like the end of the book. And then she lived with her mother-in-law. Happily ever after, kind of, the end. And then she lived with mother -in -law. So they're taken care of, they're fine. So the book could have come to an end there, but the book of Ruth is not about surviving. It's truly about thriving. It's really more about ga'al, go'el, the word that you talked about last class. It's about redemption. So, so he continues, chapter three, verse one. Uh, and let's see, Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I, not, should I not pursue for you a place or a condition or state of rest? that it may go well with you. Um, that it may go well with you, by the way, is very common in the Bible, especially Deuteronomy. Do you remember that part? Uh, obey the commandments, that it may go well with you in the land. Um, so if, if that phrase comes from the Hebrew word to be good, to make things good or to be good. So tov is good, yatav is to make good. So tov, you might have heard, uh, mazel tov. Good luck or blessings to you, but tov is good. And she's saying here, uh, in many English translations, it won't have a question there. Do you see that? It just sounds like she's making a statement. I will seek, or I will, I will certainly seek. Um, when, when rhetorical questions are used in the Bible, often it's emphatic. In fact, rhetorical questions are always emphatic uh, in English, too. Uh, I ask this question of my students and they always give me their eighth grade or ninth grade English le uh, lesson answer. What is a rhetor rhetorical question? And they say, it's a question that, sorry? Answers itself. answers itself or does not demand an answer or something like that. But they forget the word rhetorical and what that word means. And the word rhetorical means persuasive or perspectival, strong, uh, almost sermonic. So the classical rhetoric of Aristotle and the art of using language to persuade people to your perspective, that's rhetoric. A rhetorical question is often strong because it, it, it brings your perspective. So um, often biblical writers will use rhetorical questions to bring emphasis. So when she says, should I not seek for you? What she's saying, I will certainly, I must. Look how well you've taken care of me. Now, what should I do in response? I must seek. Now, how does your uh, translation render that part? What, what is she going to pursue or seek? Sorry? A home. A home. Sorry? Shall I not seek rest for 
Rest, King, King James, right, more literal, King James, rest. Uh, sorry? What else do you have? Security? Anyone have? Yes? Okay, but the word itself is a, an abstract word. It means something like state or condition of rest. Pause, sit. Should I not seek? And, and, and the reason they're translating things like home or security, because what does she mean by that? What, what is she going to seek for Ruth? But I really like the literal version better here, and here's why. How, how hard has Ruth been working? Yeah, so Naomi's saying, oh, goodness, girl. Should I not seek a state or condition of rest for you? And how does, she, how does she seek that? Well, through Boaz, the redeemer, obviously. But I don't want to get too metaphorical and jump to home or security. I like the word rest. And, and, and when we get to the end of the chapter, you'll see why I love it, the literal rest. Should I not seek rest for you, that it may go well with you? Um, <clears throat> verse 2. I always get way beyond and then rush to the end. So let me, I'm going to try and pace myself. I've got other things I want to talk about in verse one, but we could get stuck with just that one word, rest. So we'll move, we'll move on. Verse two, uh, I'm sorry, and now, and now, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you've been with? And, and here, what, what she's, again, she, uh, there are two rhetorical questions here. She begins in verse one, um, hello, is it not, should I not? It's a negated. Uh, there are two kinds of rhetorical questions in the Bible, positive expectation, negative expectation. Uh, when you place the negative in front of a question, it's really the positive that's being reaffirmed. Uh, so, should I not means I should. Is Boaz not means he is. He certainly is. So, is Boaz, the, 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 the guy that you've, whose young women you've been with all summer, all spring, is he not our relative? Here, the word is not goel. Uh, she, the author purposely mis- just withholds that word here. It just means relative, a kinsman. <coughs> uh... Have I taught you that word, hine, behold, look, listen? No? Uh, the word is perspectival, <coughs> and it's pronounced hine, and it means literally behold. So King James will have behold or something like that, right? And behold. Uh, but in, in narrative, often what it does is it draws either another character's perspective and attention or ours. Oh, I might have mentioned in, in, when, um, in, in chapter two when Boaz comes to the field, it says, oh, look, Boaz is coming to the field. Do you remember that part? Where uh, it's now our attention that the reader is trying to get, look, pay attention. So what Naomi is saying here is, listen carefully, look. But not like look over there, because it's tonight. It's not happening right now. They're away, they're in, Beth- they're in Bethlehem. The field is outside. So listen, look, Hine. Um, <clears throat> he is winnowing or threshing or seeding the, uh, the barley at the threshing floor tonight, this night. 
There are several ways that Hebrew can create disjunction. So what disjunction is the opposite of conjunction. So like contrastive or, or when authors will use the word now to give you transition uh, or background information. Uh, the word, literally the word now occurs here and it gives a sense of almost enthused excitement now. So uh, Naomi's kind of excited about this perspective. Look at my foot, my uh, little post-it and see if I'm missing anything here. Okay, good, all right. Uh, oh, verse number three. Verse three is just fascinating. Uh, verse three, she says, this is Naomi continuing to speak. Therefore go bathe, uh, anoint yourself, then put on your clothes. What was she wearing then? Uh, upon you, put on, put on clothes, your clothes upon you, and then go down to the threshing floor, and do not make yourself known. Do not make yourself known. Uh, could someone look up this verse for me? Uh, it's in, uh, let's see, Samuel. Second Samuel uh, 12. I'm terrible with references. I, 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 can, I can follow the whole flow of a book, but like numbers and names escape me. Second Samuel 12. This is after uh, Bathsheba incident and the pronouncement by Nathan that his son that Bathsheba had con conceived uh, and, and born will die and then he mourns, do you remember that story? And he goes and fasts um, and his servants are worried about him and then the child dies, okay? Uh, sorry? 20, yes. Could, could you read verse 20 for us? What are the three things that he did? He washed, he bathed, he anointed himself, and he changed his clothes. Which means he's done mourning, he's done grieving, he's done um, fasting. Those three actions imply that change. Now, what, what's with the change of clothes? Uh, because... Now, we don't do this anymore. We used to. Uh, Western cultures had this as well. Darker clothes or an armband or something that symbolized to the, to the community around them uh, that they're mourning still. So don't make any jokes about death or anything like that. I'm mourning. Please be sensitive to the needs of this community. And that was uh, very common in most cultures. So Ruth must have been wearing her mourning clothes all this time because she had lost her husband. Machlon had died. So now, when, she, when Naomi says, put on your clothes, some translations miss, miss this. They say, well, put on your best clothes. The word best isn't there, just isn't there. It's just put on your clothes, your regular clothes. Uh, so mourning is over. Bathe, anoint yourself. And now anointing also had um, 
do you remember the anointing of Jesus' feet by the woman? And, the, and John is the only one of the Gospels. All, all the Gospels have that story. But John, who was actually there, records that story, and he's the only one that says, the whole house was filled with a smell, with a, the scent of the anointment, the anointing. And of course, smell is so closely, closely associated with memory, right? So John's thinking back, going, oh, I remember that smell. So anointing was perfume, in a sense. So some translations here, here will say, put some perfume on. Uh, so there is that suggestive kind of, okay, get ready to go see him, so you want to you take a bath, you want to put some perfume on, and put on your clothes, and go. But it's, it, we miss the point, if we only focus on that, kind of preparation to meet a man. It's also a, a switch from mourning to now ready to receive joy in our life. So do not make yourself be known. Don't, look, don't let him see you. T- um, let's see. Until, until he has finished eating and drinking. Uh, shoot, okay. <laughs> I have to give you some background information. Okay, so uh, don't let me forget what verse I'm on. So uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a city boy through and through. Uh, I don't know farming stuff. I just don't have access to that world. So I read a lot about farming because uh, all of the Bible is written in an agricultural society. That's why Jesus has so many farming metaphors, right? Seeds and you know, lots of farming things, and Old Testament's filled with those references. So I've been, re- I, since, since I discovered, oh wow, all these metaphors are agri- agrarian, agricultural, I better know something about that. So just modern farming books I started reading, uh, and ancient farming te- technologies or techniques, and it, lo and behold, uh, it really comes in handy. So a threshing floor, by the way, usually had two walls, not four. They needed wind to blow through sometimes. And I didn't know why you would only have two until I read this. This is how stupid I am sometimes. You need the wind, you need a wind tunnel basically, to blow the chaff away after you've threshed it. And I didn't know what chaff was when Jesus was talking about the chaff will be burnt away. Honestly, when I was a kid, I didn't know what a chaff was. Uh, It's the the husk stuff that's not the seed that you you don't want anymore. So they throw the seed in the air and then the wind will catch the lighter stuff, but the heavier seed will, the grain will fall. And some of you are nodding like, how can you be that dumb? <laughs> so they had two walls and a roof. Now roof to protect the grain and the harvest from rain. I know, it's like, wow, <laughs> I, had, I had to read that in a book. That's how nerdy I am. Um, so so they, there was some protection from the elements, a roof and... Um, two walls, there were tables set up, and during the harvest season, the host, the landowner, threw mini parties every night, essentially. Uh, We saw one where lunchtime was kind of a party, so she was invited to the table of the workers. She's not supposed to be there, only the workers are there. She's a gleaner, which means she's not hired, Uh, she's not invited really, they kind of come and work at the field. So they have little mini feasts. During the threshing period, so all that has been, you know, uh, gathered, now they thresh. And I only knew threshing when I was a, ki- when I was a kid, when my mom threatened to thresh me. <laughs> and I thought it just meant to beat, but it does. So wh- how do they get the grain off the, uh, the stalks? 
they beat it, literally. Uh, they had these sticks with another stick at a swivel point, like a, a pivot. So it made a kind of a whipping motion. So there's a stick and another stick, or lots of sticks, uh, connected. So you beat it, and the grain fall out. So winnowing or threshing, literally threshing on a floor. So you just beat the, did you all know this? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. Your mother wanted to thrash you, not thrash you. Is that right? <laughs> thrash is different? Thrash. Yeah, thrash <laughs> means you know, the thing is, I want to tell you about, I did, grew up in Amish country. Yes, sir. Right, <laughs> right. And that's what's happening here. Um, yeah. Uh, and that feast was filled with alcohol, grain alcohol, that, uh, that the harvesters actually would produce. And so when Naomi says, when you go there, he'll be drinking and he'll be eating. Wait until he's done. So there are other people. So how does she know that he'll be alone there at night? It's because the host was required to stay until everybody left. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, a custom of hospitality so that no one ever feels like they're overstaying the welcome. So the host stays there all night long, typically. And besides, he's drunk. He's going to pass out on the, on the heap of a, a grain and, and next, next morning get back to work, right? So that's, why, that's how Naomi knows where he'll be and why he would be happy and kind of tipsy and in a good mood. Uh, when I asked my wife to marry me some 20 years ago, uh, I took her to a nice fancy French restaurant and plied her with wine. <laughs> she said that I got her drunk to say yes. <laughs> Otherwise, she wouldn't have married me. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I love my wife. She's cr she cracks me up. She cracks me up. All right, so verse uh, four, we are getting slow. All right, verse four. And when it is that he lies down, know, know the place. In, uh, in English, it sounds awkward to say know the place. Well, how do you know the place? Make sure you mark the place. Make sure you understand where he is. Uh, commit it to memory. So. No, uh, because this would have been a very large area, and it's, not, it's nighttime, right? So you can't really see very well, barely by the moonlight or stars. So you don't want to stumble across and like, walk over him, right? So know the place where uh, he lies. And then enter. Go in. Remember the words? The third one. So know the place where he lies and enter. Do you remember what I said? Suggestive. All three words for sex are in one sentence. <coughs> what verse am I in? <laughs> verse four. And, oh goodness, and uncover margalotai, regel is foot, regalim or regali would be feet of, Mar regali or margolotai is the area of his feet, literally. So uncover the area of his feet and lie. 
Okay, so I have to do this part too. Um, we may not finish chapter three today, I'm sorry. This one that you have to, there's a, 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 a tremendous amount of discussion in scholarship, in writings and commentaries about what this means. What, it, what, what is Naomi telling Ruth to do? And here is the controversy. Uh, in the Bible, there are times when men uncover their feet and usually means going to the bathroom. So when Saul is in the cave relieving himself, it's a translation most often in English, he's uncovered his feet, literally. That's uncover the area of his feet. That's the phrase. Uh, so, and also, just the word feet can be a euphemism. Uh, you know what a euphemism is? A euphemism is a word or a phrase that stands for something else, but more polite reference to that thing. So we go to the bathroom. No, we're going to go urinate or defecate, right? But you don't want to use those words. So you say, I'm going to the bathroom. It's like, well, you don't. And also, even the word bathroom. Most bathrooms don't have baths, <laughs> right? <laughs> Why is it called a bathroom? <laughs> toilet. Because toilet is too offensive. So you use a euphemism. And Hebrew has no word for genitalia. And feet is often euphemistically used for male genitalia. Feet. Uncovered your feet. So when Saul is uncovering his feet, he's going to the bathroom, because that's how you have to uncover. There, uh, there are two ways to uncover your feet, by the way, since they're wearing cloak types of robes, basically. There's an inner, gar there's an inner garment and an outer garment. Uh, and that's why Jesus says, hey, if someone asks for the outer garment, ask him the inner garment, too, because everybody wore two. One way would be if you're standing, and the King James will say something like, he who pisseth against a wall. And that's actually King James. I'm not cursing. That's King James. And, what, and if you're standing, you uncover this way, right? So you can uncover. But if you're going to do number two, again, euphemism, right? Number two of what? Uh, that's a euphemism. Uh, so if you're going to number two, you can uncover your feet by lifting up so that you can two. Uh, so which, what is she telling Ruth to do? And so there's controversy whether it's just his feet or it's his feet. <laughs> you get that? So is he now half naked or is it just up? Is it up or across? Now I happen to think it's across. Here's why. She says, following this, spread your cloak over me because it's at nighttime, right? How do you cover her if you only go straight up? You can't. In order to cover the woman next to you, you have to uncover this way. So when uh, Naomi tells Ruth what to do here, Ruth doesn't seem phased at all. And by the way, when this happens, Boaz doesn't seem phased. So that's the other argument for maybe it's not genitalia, maybe it was just his feet. So they, the argument goes back and forth. But there is some controversy, and the author never tells us exactly what's going on because I think it's still just very suggestive language. We're not meant to know for sure. The author doesn't really explain. Any questions on that? Yes? Yes, yeah, we were, I'm sorry, I didn't get to that. And he will tell you what to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so whatever this is, it is a marriage proposal by a woman. 
And he understands it that way. Because she doesn't say anything except, you are my goel. And then he says, everything you've said, I will do. Which means she said something that he must do. And it is to marry her in a sense. Or to, and so it is uh, uh, what, because it's a patriarchal culture, uh, and even today, m still, as enlightened and progressive as we are, still most, mostly it's the men who do the asking, right? Uh, for marriage proposals. So in a patriarchal culture like this one, it would have been awkward for a woman to ask a man, would you marry me? And this was a kind of a, an indirect way of doing so. And uh, there are ancient documents outside the Bible that support that argument. So it's clearly whatever it is, whether it be feet or feet, either way, it's a marriage proposal from a woman. And then that's why Naomi says, and then he'll tell you what to do. Uh, there'll be some sort of follow-up. And of course, we know what that is. He's going to marry her eventually. Uh, but there's a, a, a little hiccup that he must get over. So, uh, so lie there, and he will tell you what to do. Uh, verse 5? Are we at 5 now? Yes. So she said uh, to her, all that which you have said, I will do, literally. So I've translated that fairly woodenly. Here's why. Um, the phrase, something, a share, a share, that which you have I will do that form, that formula, that grammatical construction was, was what Ruth used when she said, that place where you lie, I will lie. That place where you die, I will die. That place where you go, I will go. Do you remember that beautiful confession that Ruth makes? It's the exact same grammatical construction. And she says, that which you have said, I will do. So it's a kind of a reference back to Ruth 1.17. Let's see, so I, f I forgot anything. Uh, oh, and the word order, yeah, I know I forgot something. That word order, bringing the thing, the object of the verb, object of that verb to the beginning uh, is an emphatic word order structure in Hebrew. That which you have said, I will do. Because the more naturally you say, I will do that you said. I will do what you said. But it switches the order in order to emphasize exactly what you said, precisely what you said, I will do. Okay, that's the, that's a, that's the grammatical uh, emphasis there. And then verse, uh, did we finish five? Yes, six. Verse six. So she went down to the uh, threshing floor and she did exactly as that which Naomi had commanded her. So uh, verse six, it first, uh, verse six is kind of a literary pivot, a pivot in literature serves as kind of a uh, turning point, right? So it summarizes what's happened and it looks forward to what's going on. Yes? So, so Naomi could be sort of a prophetess or there could be some tradition here that she knows what his response will be based on a tradition. I think she knows what's gonna happen based on her knowledge of Boaz and what's been happening in the last few months. Yeah, I mean, she comes home first day with 30 pounds of grain, right? And she goes, what, what where were you? What did you do? And so, and then he, she explains the whole thing, and then, she st and then Ruth told her, 
And he told me to stay at the, and with his girls and work there and don't go anywhere else. Stay right here. And, and Naomi says, yes, that's better for you. Stay there. And so there's been now at least two months, if not three or four months of periods that's passed. And, uh, and uh, Naomi's saying, you know what? Isn't Boaz, is not Boaz our kinsman? But Naomi knows there is a closer. She must have known that there is this other guy who's closer because they're family. I mean, it's her family. She, she would know Boaz is not the immediate next guy in line for the Levite marriage. You talked about Levite marriage last week. Yep. So she, he's not the closest one. There's a closer one. But then she doesn't want to send Ruth to that loser. <laughs> and we'll find out in chapter four why he's a loser. Uh, in chapter three, Naomi says, okay, go to Boaz and he'll tell you what to do. I think she knows she was, she was kind of, she's matchmaking, but she's saying, I want Boaz to take care of you. I don't want that other guy. So isn't Boaz, go to her, and then he'll tell you what to do. Uh, it may be saying, okay, he might say, he'll tell you, okay, I have to wait and talk to the other guy. So that might be what it, what's going on. Yes. All your discussions about translation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you, yeah, the question is, do we lose something when you, when you translate not as literally? Uh, the problem is with literal translations is that if you make it too literal, it becomes incomprehensible because uh, of idioms. Right. Uh, so, for example, if I said to you, trying to think of a Hebrew words that if I translate it, you would simply not get. Um, cut a covenant. What does that mean? Make? Oh yeah, you got that. I cut a deal. <laughs> but they use the, the word literal, cut a covenant. Uh, so some things would, would be very difficult under, uh, to understand. So the, the, the advice I give to people who are trying to really get deep into the text, into the Bible, is have multiple translation in front of you. So read a chapter in one translation, go to another version, another translation, and read it, and see what's different, and what you might gain. And, and often, I have my students do this, and they usually have four different translations with very kind of more literal, wooden one like the King James or the NASB, a more kind of a center, either an NIV or NRSV, so they have those two in the front and then the more extreme dynamic translation like the NLT, the New Living Translation, which is very dynamic. So you got the wooden one word, one word for one word attempt, but on the other side, like let me just give you the meaning of this sentence and not worry about the sentence at all, just give you the whole meaning. So there's, that's NLT. So when my students do that, and they look at, they go through one verse at a time, they can get a lot uh, that, you just don't get by reading one translation. And often I'll say, did you know that this is why you're seeing that word over and over and in different ways? And like, oh, okay. Uh, so that's my recommendation. Uh, verse, <coughs> excuse me. So verse six is a pivot. Verse seven begins then the story of Ruth actually doing uh, this thing. Uh, so verse seven. Now when Boaz had eaten and he's drunk, he had drunk, or he, had, he finished drinking, basically. Uh, and his heart was merry, might be the, is that the King James? His heart was merry. It says literally, 
and it was well with his heart. It's the same word, so they may go well with you. So his heart was going well. <laughs> oh, and this is the same phrase in, in Psalms, that God gave wine to man that his heart may be merry, he's glad. In Ecclesiastes, same thing, to eat and drink and be merry, uh, to be glad in, in it. <clears throat> so his heart was happy or going well, and so um, he went to lie down. Oh, literally he entered. He's already in the, in the threshing floor, we assume. But again, enter. Uh, he went to enter to lie down at the edge of the heap of grains. Then she came. She entered. Again, that word, bo, entered. Balat, secretly with softness. Uh, very suggestive as well. She came secretly. And she uncovered the area of his feet, and she lay. Okay, let's move forward. All right, verse eight. <clears throat> and it was in the half of the night, or the middle of the night, maybe literally midnight, but in the half of the night, the middle of the night, uh, he startled, might be your translation, but literally means shudder. Now here's where things get interesting too, because if he startled, it might be because he sensed someone moving around next to him or something, but if it means shudder, because literally it does mean shudder, shake, could mean because he's cold, <laughs> right? Because his feet are exposed, or his feet are exposed. Uh, either way, he's gonna feel a little chill, and, <laughs> sorry, could not avoid that. Uh, then he, he shuddered or he startled and he turned, he twisted, literally, he twisted, and behold, and hine, that word right there, hine, and look, a woman lying by his feet area. Behold, a woman. We all know who this woman is, right? It's, it's true, so why does it say a woman? Well, now we're getting Boaz's perspective. Remember, Hine's perspectival. So we're looking at Boaz's eyes going, it's middle of the night, it's kind of dark. Can't, he can't see who it is, but he can tell it's a woman. Oh, a woman. But what's also interesting is, uh, look at earlier, does your translation say, and in the middle of the night, the man startled? The man shuddered or something? The man, Ish. Isha, Ish, Isha, born of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Uh, Ish, she's, she's called Isha, woman, because she, was, she came out of man. Ish, Ish, Isha, Ish, Isha. I now pronounce you Ish and Isha. So that's the, uh, again, suggestive language about marriage and, and, and sex. Ish and Isha. Uh, verse 9, and, she, uh, and, he, and he said, Mi'at, who are you? Who are you? And she answered, she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Now spread your edges of your cloak or something like that, you're literally wings. Spread your wings over your maidservant for you are my Goel. You are my redeemer. Beautiful phrase, by the way. Uh, this is... Uh, Remember that blessing, may you be blessed of the Lord, uh, God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. 
You remember that part of Ruth earlier? You came to seek refuge under God's wings. And so she says, spread your wings over me. Uh, and you are my Goel. Theologically, very significant here, isn't it? Um, verse, oh, verse nine, I got one note on here. The word there for maidservant is sometimes used for a concubine, but I don't think we can say that's what she means, I'm your concubine, we can't say that. There's a specific word for concubine, this isn't that, but it's sometimes used for that. So, um, but it means something like your very close, intimate servant, whereas earlier there was another word that says, why have you treated me like your servant when I'm not one of your servants? But this one she's saying, I am your servant. I'm your maidservant, a handmaiden, you might say, someone who's close by, that's the word. And, she, and he said, blessed are you, blessed, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, again, my daughter, uh, very, very concerned, caring, protective word there, because Naomi had said this earlier to, to Ruth. <coughs> blessed be you by the Lord, my daughter, for your chesed is greater now than your first chesed. So your kindness, in some translations, your kindness now is greater than your first. Chesed. That's why we study that word our first day. This is a significant term for her. Now, what is he referring to? Uh, he explains what he means. <coughs> because, for, you did not pursue, go after young men, whether poor or rich. So she's, an, she's attractive, young, marriageable age. She could have married a, a younger man her age, and she would have been fine. But if he had been poor, would Naomi f be fine? Maybe, maybe not. Also, she's not going after some strange man. She's going after what is rightfully, legally, and mosaically, and biblically the correct path, seeking the goel. So he's praising her, saying, you know what, your chesed now is greater than your chesed of following your mother here, your mother-in-law to protect her and provide for her. And of course, he's known all along how hard she's been working to feed her mother-in-law. And now that, that chesed, this chesed is even greater than that. Because you, you're willing to marry an old man, basically what she's saying, he's saying. But we know uh, the story is really romantic. And then the word ata, now, again, he's kind of enthused and excited. Now, my daughter, do not fear. All that you have said, I will do. Does that ring a bell? Yes? Because Ruth had said to her mother-in-law, all that you have said, I will do. And now the author uses the exact same phrase to say, put it in Boaz's mouth, all that you have said, I will do. Now she hasn't said much. She said, Goel, Ata, you are my Goel, you are Goel. Uh, you are Goel is all she said, and he says, he says, all that you have said I will do. Uh, let me see if I have any notes on this. Oh, uh, the word better is the same word again to make good. Uh, may, uh, may I seek so that it may go well with you, that yatav, the word to be to make good, and his heart was merry, that yatav is now this yatav. You've made something even better. So to make good, your chesed is now made better than the, than the first. 
Uh, verse 11 ends with, uh, oh, we haven't finished reading it, have we? All that you've said I will do. For, uh, here's a strange idiom. Uh, this might be an example. Let me see if I can translate it literally and see if you, I think you can catch it. For knowing all gates my people. Get it? For knowing all gates my people. Surely. For knowing all gates my people. Surely, woman of Chayol you. Woman of worthy you. So when you're reading the English translation, you get, oh, okay, I think I get what he's saying. The gate of my people. Uh, the gate is where people conducted businesses in the ancient world. Um, go to the city gate and conduct business. By the way, uh, did I draw the gate to you, gate for you once? <coughs> we tend to think of a, a, the gates as just doorways, but in the ancient city system, what they did was they built a wall. This is a bird's eye view. <coughs> they built a wall and the wall would have been quite thick. For obvious reasons, you want to protect your city. Uh, oh, the story of Rahab lowering down the spy over the wall, because she lived in the wall. How, how did she live in the wall? The walls were big enough to have apartments, essentially, little houses. The poorer people, like prostitutes, lived in the wall. And then the richer people lived in houses inside it. So they built houses for themselves. But if you lived in the wall, they were thick enough wide enough to be a small apartment uh, complex. This was basically, this is an apartment complex. And then the city gates, they built it often like this. Then you would have gates inside it. Why would you do that? Sorry? Defense, Defense absolutely. Now, wall's pretty strong, right? It's stone wall, inside stone wall. Two, two, two layers of stone wall. The gates would have been made out of wood so that you can open and close them. So this would be the vulnerable spot. If, if an enemy were to attack, this is where you'd go. But let's say in this picture, you've broken down this gate. <laughs> you have like 10 more to go or 11 more to go. Even if you went all the way in here, let's say you made it all the way to the middle of the gates. Is that a good place for you to be? Why not? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the bird's eye view looks like this, but if you're looking at it from the front, here's the wall, and uh, here are the gates. <laughs> so it's elevated higher up, and if you're stuck in the gate area, people, you can just throw, say, a millstone and kill people with it. And of course, there are stories in the Bible where a woman would throw a millstone and kill people. Or just throw a rock, or, or a bow and arrow. So this is the, this is a very dangerous place to be. Yes? They are. Yeah. Actually, this is where the gate, uh, the, the, the watchman, the, the, do you, you know that, uh, like Ezekiel, he talks about the watchman, God's watchman, the prophet sees what's going on. This is the highest place. This is where soldiers would have been. And the, the watchman would have been, uh, by the way, the watchman, the watchman of the military would have been like, um, I don't know, what, who's, who's like the highest military officer? Sentinel. Isn't there like one chief of staff? I, uh, no. 
Is that the, yes, general of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yes, so it would have been like that. So they had direct access to the kings. Often the, the watchmen will come to the king and say, hey, something's happening out there. And only very few people had direct access, access to the king. And the watchmen did. And so there were soldiers up here. So that's why, the, and, and some ancient cities, not Israelite cities, but some ancient cities made this in a bent shape. <laughs> so that even if you did break down all the walls, you couldn't march straight through with a chariot. You'd have to make a turn and now you're still vulnerable. You have to slow down to make that turn. So now, what's inside these buildings? These buildings, kind of like the, um, the wall inside, these were the municipal offices. So they're the gates. So when people go to the gates to conduct business, they're not standing outside you know, at a gate. They're actually inside the city hall. So take me to the gates. Does not mean these gates, they mean like here. So um, we'll talk more about gates in chapter four because that's what happens. Uh, Boaz will go to the gates and will say, hey, men, sit down. And they're not sitting outside in the dirt. They're inside at a courtroom or some sort of legal office where they conducted business. So <clears throat> all of the gate, all of my people in the gates, I guess, you could translate it that way. <clears throat> but all of my gate people, no. Uh, in other words, all the people who I associate with, because he's an important man, and we'll see that in chapter four. Chapter four, he tells people what to do, and they just do it. Elders, too. So he says, sit, they sit. Come, they come. Uh, so <clears throat> all of my gay people know that you are a woman of Chayel. We talked about Chayel in chapter two, when Boaz was introduced, a woman of literally valor and might. Uh, just, just as it doesn't fit Boaz, it doesn't fit Ruth to translate it as literally as might and valor. So it's translated often as worth, woman of great worth, nobility, character. Verse uh, <clears throat> 12, again, he repeats the word now. Now. It is true. It is certain. It is aman. Aman is the word that we get amen from, and then amen, true. So when you say, when you end a prayer with amen, you're saying, that's true. We are saying with you. Aman, amana, uh, it's true that I am goel, but there is a goel closer than me. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so there's a little hiccup there. There's, a, there's a, another goel. Um, now, Lodge here, lean, lodge, stay. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you dwell, I will dwell. That was lean. Uh, lodge tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem, good. Let him redeem. By the way, that right there is in, in Hebrew construction, very, very terse, very uh, quick. If he redeems, good redeem. So if he will redeem, fine. <laughs> Let him redeem. He's not happy about it. Yes? I have to jump forward to four at one point because we got, don't have a lot of time. So he says, I will redeem it. The federal. Yeah. Then Boaz said, May you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi. Yeah. Also acquire Ruth. Right. I'm jumping ahead because yeah. of time. Oh, no, we'll get to chapter four next week. We'll have time for chapter four. I'm back next week. Okay? Five minutes. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, sorry. I can. All right. So 
Chapter four is shorter. So even if we don't make chapter three all the way through, chapter four at the end is genealogy. There's not a whole lot to talk about that genealogy, so it's a little shorter. Chapter four is a shorter chapter anyway. So if we have to go a little beyond today for chapter three, we'll make it up in four. Uh, what verse am I in again? Sorry. Twelve. 13, okay, 13. Uh, lodge tonight and in the morning, if he'll redeem, fine, let him redeem. But, indeed, if not. And then the word there is chafat, means to delight. And I just don't like the translation that says, if he does not wish to. Uh, because the word is a lot stronger than that. Chafat is to delight in something. So, earlier it was really a terse, like, if he will redeem, fine, redeem, he will redeem. Now he says, if he does not delight to redeem you, I have redeemed you. Now, that doesn't make any sense in English uh, grammar, right? Syntax, you can't talk about the future in the past. In Hebrew, you can. Prophets talked about the future in the perfect form, perfect tense. It's a done deal. When God speaks about the future, it's done. So they use the perfect tense. It's called the prophetic, prophetic perfect. Here, when he's talking about the other guy, he says, if he will redeem, if he will do this, let him do this. If he does not want to, or if he does not delight in doing this, then I have already redeemed you. It's prophetic perfect. He's saying, it's done for sure, okay? You don't have to worry. Don't fear, he had said. For I, uh, and then that, that word I is emphatic there. I have redeemed you. As surely, as if that's not strong enough, he's, he takes an oath. Chai Adonai, as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives. That, by the way, he's saying the, the tetragrammaton, the word, the, the, the name for God, Yahweh. The name that we're never supposed to take in vain. He's using it not in vain. He's taking an oath under God. He's saying, as surely as the Lord lives, I, will, I have done this. So lie, again, that word, lie. Lie until the morning. Verse 14. Um, let me read it and then a couple comments. Uh, so she lay by his side or, his, or next to his feet until the morning. But then she woke up before a man could recognize his neighbor, or before anyone could recognize each other. And that means pretty dark still, but enough to walk around. <clears throat> and he said to her, uh, do, not be, do not let it be known, the word for no again. Lots of repetition of the word no and lie and enter in this passage. So do not let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor tonight. Now why not? Why would Boaz not want that? Well, in case the other guy wants to redeem her. He wants to protect her reputation and, and not cause any trouble for Ruth. So he's being quiet about this for now. Reminds me kind of of Joseph when he found, finds out that Mary's pregnant. He wants to quietly separate from her. Doesn't want to cause ruckus. Doesn't want to trouble her or ruin her reputation. Um, so he says, don't let it be known. So in the middle of the night, well, not middle, early in the morning before it's light out, Dust or uh, before dawn, uh, let it not be known. So he's still very, very protective of her. Fifteen. Uh, actually, we're out of time. It's uh, fifteen after. 
Should, do, we, do, do you want to go on just a couple more verses? or Are we okay? Dan? Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, he said, give me your cloak, and, uh, which is upon you, and hold fast to it. And so she held fast to it. And he measured out six somethings of barley. It just says six measures of barley. Literally, it says six barleys. We know it's not six grains of barley. So six barleys. And he put it on her, and she went back to town. She went to town. So what is this six measure of barley? This one, I had to do some research way back when, uh, and I wrote it down. So because we don't know what this is, the original audience would have known exactly what six barley would have been, but we don't know. Uh, so there are basically three options. It could be an apha, six aphas, which would be about 200 pounds. She's not going to take that, right? Without a wheelbarrow or something. She's not going to be able to carry on her. Because he said uh, he put it on her and she carried it home. The other one is six omer. And omer is uh, about tenth of an, an apha. So it would have been about 18 pounds, which would be less than what she gleaned on the first day. That seems a little stingy. The only other option, then, is what's called a seah. And a seah, uh, so it's about 10 pounds, roughly. So it'd be closer to 60 pounds. And that one is most likely because it doubles what she had gleaned the first time. And it would be the maximum weight she could carry on her. Uh, so that's the, about 60 pounds. So when he has the ability to just give her grain instead of her gleaning it, he doubles what she could do in a day. So I think I like that version. And also, when it says he put it on her, um, if, have you ever seen Middle Eastern women carry things? Or African women or Asian women carry things? On their heads, right? I don't know how my grandmother, who was like four foot five when she was alive in Korea, she used to carry a whole bushel of rice, like this humongous thing of rice on her head, and just walk like this. <laughs> and not drop, and not even like hold it. Sometimes she would every once in a while put her hand up to make sure it's balanced, but she would just walk. As a kid, I used to be amazed by that. So I tried, like, little things on my head. I would just fall. It would just fall. Uh, but I've, I've shown videos to my students of women carrying things on their heads. And apparently, it's better for you than, like, carry it on your back or in front because, like, center of gravity, I guess. I don't know. But they can carry a lot. So 60 pounds would be about the maximum of what she could have carried on her head because it says, literally, he put it on her. So most likely, it's on her head. And she's, she's gone home. Uh, so she's gone back to town, Ha'ir, the city. Verse 16, then she entered uh, the town. She, she entered. Again, the word is enter. She, she went in to her mother-in-law and said to her, oh, and she said, I'm sorry, the mother-in-law said, responds and says, all right, uh, who has the King James again? What, is, what does Naomi say to Ruth? Who art thou, my daughter? Does she not, is she, what is going on? So lots of translations will say something like, how did it go? How, tell me what happened. But literally it says, who are you? Who you? Exactly what Boaz had said, who you? Uh, so it's not like Naomi forgot her daughter-in-law, but what she's really saying is, has your identity changed? Are you married? Are you engaged? Are you a different person now? Who are you? My daughter. He, she knows. My daughter. Okay, that's, that's Ruth. Who art thou? Who are you? 
fascinating stuff, my daughter. And then she told uh, her everything that he did for her. Oh, the man did for her. Sorry, my word for the man is on the next page, and the verbs come first. So the man did for her. So instead of saying what Boaz did for her, it's referenced back to, again, man and wife. Man did for her. Uh, I don't want to hold you any longer. We're already five minutes behind. I'm sorry. We'll we'll, we'll pick up there next time, and we'll finish chapter four again. Chapter four is shorter, and there's a genealogy that we're not going to really read word for word. So thank you for your time.